You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The federal government is rolling out a string of proposed changes it says will strengthen the air passenger protection regulations. The promise is to give power back to passengers and make it easier to get compensation. But as Andrew reports, critics say the changes don't go nearly far enough. After mounting frustration from air travelers and to avoid a repeat of the travel chaos seen in the past, the federal transport minister is promising change, announcing reforms to Canada's air passenger protections, saying when it comes to compensation, the onus will be on the airlines. There will be no more loopholes where airlines can claim a disruption is caused by something outside of their control for a security reason when it's not. Just one of several proposed changes, including requiring airlines to establish an internal process to manage complaints within 30 days and increasing the maximum fine an airline can face for breaking the rules from $25,000 to $250,000. But the transport minister also announced a range of exceptions. While Omar Al-Gabra did not say exactly what those would be, he referred to a snowstorm as an example. A snowstorm will have uh, obviously an impact on uh, traffic, uh, air traffic, and airlines are not responsible for snowstorms. That statement alone has critics saying the proposed amendments will make little difference, falling short of the standards set by the European Union. We're likely uh, to see more air passengers sleeping on airport floors and out thousands of dollars uh, because of the behaviour of Canada's airlines. Right now, there is a backlog of 45,000 passenger complaints. The transport minister says the new changes will improve the efficiency of the regulator that deals with those complaints, the Canadian Transportation Agency. But some aviation experts aren't so sure. He said he's going to take the appeal process down from 120 days to 90 days. That's per appeal. Nothing to do with the 45,000 people that are sitting out there waiting for a hearing at the CTA. In addition, passenger rights advocates are taking issue with the CTA complaint system itself and its new confidentiality rules. The only thing that is going to come out publicly from this type of complaint is some final result about a specific flight, but how that result was reached, what evidence was being used is not going to be public. Meantime, the National Airlines Council of Canada, which calls itself the voice of Canada's largest airlines, tells Global News the proposed changes will not improve the operation of Canada's air travel system or the travel experience for customers. And nothing in the new rules will actually minimize travel disruptions. Andrua, Global News. Five people appeared in court today to face charges of kidnapping, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and unlawful confinement. It stems from a kidnapping case that police say began in Port Moody last Wednesday and ended with multiple arrests on Friday, including this scene on the Lougheed Highway in Maple Ridge. And we can't tell you what happened in court because of a publication ban, but we can tell you a man in his 40s was taken from outside a gym on Brewery Row and was forced into a van. Now facing charges are Michael Jens Albrecht, Nathaniel Michael Robert Lecky, Oliver Hansen, Cameron Duffin and Delaney Jane Donaghy. All will be kept in custody with another court appearance set for Thursday. More troubling new information tonight on public safety and violent crime. It turns out B.C. courts are rejecting more than half of prosecutors' attempts 
to keep repeat violent offenders behind bars. And the B.C. government is placing the blame firmly on the federal government. Richard Zussman reports. It's been described as a catch-and-release system, a revolving door of justice. Criminals arrested, appear in court, and released on bail. Really alarming for us to see that the Crown itself is only asking for those to be, to be put in custody half the time. Now, for the first time, we're getting a closer look at the numbers. Over a six-week period, the B.C. Prosecution Service saw 1,325 bail hearings in violent offence cases. In those hearings, the Crown released the detained 61% of the time. We would like to see them ask 100% of the time. Does that guarantee, of course, that a person will be held in custody? No, because each of these cases are going to be unique with their own unique circumstances. The history of each, um, each instance, each person is going to be different, so that charge assessments left up to them. In the 516 cases where the Crown sought detention, a federal judge granted the detention order 221 times, meaning the person was released 57% of the time, something the province says is a clear indication the bail system is broken. Judges are there to enforce the law, so the law of the land and the criminal code needs to be amended, um, and we've been calling on that since day one. The federal government says it's interested on working with the provinces on the issue of repeat violent criminal bail reform, but the province says that the measures we've put in place here in BC to have a directive to keep those offenders behind bars without bail doesn't work until Ottawa steps to the plate. The bail policies of this country need to be changed to ensure that repeat violent offenders are held, um, are held specifically to keep communities safer. The B.C. Liberals are also proposing the province change the law to financially support businesses impacted by crime, suggesting funding to offset damages and upgrades to security systems, just one of the costs of a system clearly broken. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry from Victoria now to drill into these uh, numbers a little mm. further and, uh, Keith, some of the most concerning cases. Yeah, very interesting data from the BC Prosecution Service today. Broke it into a number of categories. You can really see the magnitude of the problem out there, particularly when it comes to violent offenders who've been in front of judges many times. So here's some of the breakdown. First of all, violent offenders who already have had search warrant or uh, outstanding arrest warrants uh, uh, awarded against them. 179 bail hearings over the last two weeks of the data collection, February 27th to March 12th. 46 detention orders were sought, but just 19 detentions were actually granted by judges. Which is a very low percentage of what the crime was looking for. And on the trifecta, we're talking the violent offenders, warrants, and already previous breaches of orders, 41 bail hearings in this time frame, 17 detention orders were sought, and just 11 detentions were granted by the judges. Again, this goes right through pretty well every category, Sophie. Uh, the pattern here, of course, is the Crown is not seeking anywhere near the number of detentions that some people might think is required. But nevertheless, the judges, in any event, are just simply not granting those requests. One more troubling statistic. I'll leave you with. They also broke it down in terms of what type of violent uh, incidents we're talking about. Every week, from week to week in this period, about 100 domestic assaults occur. Those are violent assaults. That's about 28% of the total. And that, doesn't, that seems to be a statistic that's week in and week out. It's quite troubling. Mm -hmm. Troubling indeed. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Right. A dramatic moment in coroner's court today at the inquest into the death of Miles Gray. An apology from one of the officers who attended the call eight years ago that ultimately led to Gray's death. Kristen Robinson has the story. 
After wrapping his testimony, Constable John Gravengard asked the coroner if he could say one more thing. The 15-year VPD officer then looked at Miles Gray's mother and father and apologized. I am truly sorry to the family for your son's loss. Gravengard broke down, saying he has a son too. It's not easy, and I'm truly sorry. I saw an emotion. I haven't seen an emotion in eight years from anyone. I, we have not received an apology, no remorse, nothing. That is the first time, the first, the first time I saw a glimpse of emotion. And it was nice to get an apology from someone within the VPD. Halfway through this fourth fellow's interview, he, uh, he started to cry, and he told us that he had a son. I don't know how old he was. He made eye contact, and I felt it was, he came from his heart. It actually brought tears to my eyes to hear that, because my son was worth an apology. Gray died on August 13th, 2015, following a beating by seven VPD officers. The 33-year-old suffered a broken eye socket, crushed voice box, ruptured testicle and other injuries. Police were the only witnesses to his death. When he arrived on scene, Gravengard testified Gray, who was face down with his chest on the ground, had two sets of handcuffs on and a hobble strapped around his ankles. At least three officers were holding him down. Gravengard put his knees on Gray's right leg, but says Gray continued to struggle. Quote, I've never seen anyone be able to do a hamstring curl and lift that hobble with someone on it. Another officer gave conflicting testimony under questioning from the Gray family's lawyer. Constable Kyle Dent says Gray was trying to do hamstring curls, but he couldn't, stated Ian Donaldson. No, because he was hobbled, replied Dent. Four Burnaby firefighters and three BC ambulance paramedics are the next witnesses scheduled to testify. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Police have arrested a suspect in a high-profile stabbing on board a SkyTrain nine days ago. A man was stabbed April 15th, just before one in the morning as the train traveled through Surrey. Police say the victim and suspect had an interaction that led to the stabbing. The victim was put in an ambulance at Surrey Central while the suspect continued on to King George. Police are recommending weapons and assault with a weapon charges against a 29-year-old man from Burnaby. He has been released pending his first court appearance June 14th. Despite visible progress on the downtown east side, Vancouver Police and Vancouver Fire Rescue say more work needs to be done to improve safety along Hastings Street following the decampment of the area. Kamal Kuramali is live outside VPD headquarters with more on the update from officials today and some of these lingering concerns, Kamal. That's right, Chris. So Vancouver police now say that they have removed about 80 tents and other structures since the dismantling began on April 5th. Since then, crime is down, but there are increasing concerns of violence, weapons and continued street fires. Now, that's because uh, they say and Vancouver Fire also says plenty of people are propping up new tents overnight, as many as 30 new structures in some cases. But overall, VPT says the situation 
situation has improved. There have been zero sexual assaults reported since the dismantling began and a reduction in other crimes as well, including one stabbing and one robbery, which is lower than the previous months. There's also been a 43% drop in fires last week. Police say they've also seized 18 weapons from the tents in the last week alone, including daggers, machetes, baseball bats, and household tools. VPD adding officers still continue to encounter a concerning number of weapons in the area and nearly 24 medical calls, including overdoses since the teardown began. Meanwhile, homeless advocates say although the city provided alternative housing options, those who were displaced face dangers at SROs and need better options. Uh, last month, we took 14 real and replica firearms um, off of the streets in the downtown east side, particularly in the encampment zone, in just in just a few days. So the fact that we're no longer seeing um, firearms, whether they be real or replica, uh, to that degree is, is, is a positive sign. But again, need to caution. It's early days. We need to make sure that we're getting people into housing and doing better than just having people sleep outside. Also, this week, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a real increase in, in really serious overdoses. Kamal, anyone familiar with that area will notice the majority of the tents appear to be gone from that stretch of Hastings, but Vancouver Fire says 10 propane tanks are still being pulled out of there every day. So, so where are those tanks being found? Yeah, you saw that uh, wide array of tanks and propane tanks uh, that were on display today. So uh, we mentioned about 25 to 30 tents and other structures keep popping up overnight, according to Vancouver Fire. That's not just tents. They say that's also other structures, including things made of wood, tarps, and people also sleeping in, under awnings and in doorways as well. So uh, still, that population that was displaced who lived in the tents are finding other ways to find shelter, and they are the ones who are still using propane tanks. So still uh, a bit of concern for Vancouver Fire when it comes to uh, any structures being engulfed in flames overnight. Back over to you, Chris. And an ongoing challenge to find them permanent homes as well. Thank, thanks mm -hmm. very much, Kamal. Three people have been arrested and Nanaimo RCMP have seized drugs, guns and cash after pulling over a vehicle. It happened at around 2 a.m. last Tuesday in the 4,000 block of Departure Bay Road. Police pulled over a white Toyota pickup with no front license plate and no insurance. Inside, they found a shotgun, drugs, cash, along with face masks and zip ties. A 27-year-old man was arrested on multiple outstanding warrants, while a 27-year-old man and 21-year-old woman were arrested on drug and gun charges. Police say all three are known to be active in the drug trade. A B.C. human rights ruling that changes the game for working parents. How it forces employers to consider your child care needs before setting out your responsibilities. And how that is a big win for gender equality. Next on the News Hour. As Buckingham Palace prepares for the King's coronation, a new poll suggests many Canadians don't really care what the numbers say. Later on the News Hour. And excitement over the return of the Honda Celebration of Light. Who's competing this year? Coming up. Right now, though, day six of the strike by tens of thousands of federal government workers. And the union is escalating its fight. As Grace Key reports, picket lines are showing up at more locations across B.C. Solidarity! 
The Public Service Alliance of Canada is escalating strike action across the country. About 100 union members started picketing at Cascadia Terminal in Vancouver, disrupting operations. We're here to, to show that we've had enough. Our jobs are being done by replacement workers, technically, and uh, we want to go back to work. We want to protect our jobs. We are passionate about our jobs. So let's make enough noise to wake her up in Japan! In Delta, members protested outside of MP Carla Quattro's office, even though she was out of the country. I think our tactics are going to be changing every day. We just really want to ensure that the employer comes back to the table with a respectful mandate. It's been six days since 155,000 federal workers went on strike. In the House of Commons, the government says the union came to the table with 570 demands, and all but a handful have been resolved. Our team has been working around the clock to negotiate new collective agreements that are fair, competitive, and reasonable. I don't want to be told how to collaborate. I think I figured it out for myself. With wages and work-from-home rules, some of the key issues, union members left notes on Quattro's office window. The only way I can collaborate with my team is virtually. Yet I have to go into the office two days a week and sit at my desk on Teams just as if I were at home. We're not saying give us a blank check. We're saying help us survive during this tough times. That's what we're asking for. Picket lines have now been set up at more than 40 sites across the province. Grace Key, Global News. The B.C. Human Rights Commission says ruling by the B.C. Court of Appeal is a victory for families, giving them more protection in the workplace. As Travis Prasad reports, the ruling can make it easier for a parent to prove discrimination. Figuring out childcare in this province can be a tall order, but some say a new court decision could make it a little easier. It's a very positive change for British Columbians. On Friday, the B.C. Court of Appeal decided in favour of the mother of a young child, saying her employer, Gibraltar Mines, discriminated against her by not accommodating changes to her work schedule that would help with her childcare needs. This case is uh, really an important win for gender equality. It ultimately means that women and other primary caregivers will be more equal in the workplace. Prior to this decision, in order to claim family status discrimination, parents and caregivers had to prove their employers changed their conditions of employment. Now, they don't have to. So it's the directionality of the change, really. Something can happen in my life, not, you know, not brought on by the employer, and that will still trigger my right to be protected against discrimination. BC's Human Rights Commissioner says the decision does not mean employees facing discrimination will always get what they want. Employers do have an obligation to accommodate workers, but only to the point of undue hardship. What that looks like will vary from case to case. For a very small employer, spending a very large amount of money to meet somebody's need might amount to undue hardship, uh, depending on the circumstances. But that, might, that same amount of money might not amount to hard, undue hardship for a very large corporation. While there is now a greater responsibility on employers, employment lawyer Richard Johnson says parents should be trying their best to make childcare work. One thing that the, this decision doesn't change is the fact that we as parents or as uh, caregivers, we need to make sure that we're looking for solutions before hoisting the obligation on the employer to accommodate. 
that doesn't change. It's essential folks have access to childcare, that it's affordable. And while I won't, I can't speak directly on the court case, uh, we're going to continue to work for access and affordability for childcare. Johnson expects the decision will be appealed in the Supreme Court of Canada. Travis Prasad, Global News. Coming up, Surrey policing on hold. Are we playing with the lives of the citizens of Surrey for politics? Critics calling out the mayor for not adding officers who've already been hired. And imprisoned in Iran, the faith group cruelly persecuted and how Canadian relatives are fighting to set them free. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge. Keep in mind, though, later on, northbound lane closures for construction between 10 p.m. Sorry, 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are a part of. Contact your local dealer today and get up to $100 in tire rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. With a decision expected later this week on the future of policing in Surrey, the war of words is heating up again between proponents of both the RCMP and the Surrey Police Service. As Janet Brown reports, both sides are accusing the other of hypocrisy and even jeopardizing public safety. The Safe Surrey Coalition on Surrey Council is accusing the mayor and the RCMP of blocking the deployment of 33 Surrey Police Service officers, jeopardizing public safety. They say only 32 officers have been deployed so far this year, including 14 recruit graduates, counter to an HR agreement they say called for 35 officers to be deployed in January and another 35 in March. The mayor is putting politics before the people in the city of Surrey and it is um, irresponsible as the CEO of, of the second largest city in British Columbia to, to be acting like this. It's almost like um, it's a personal issue. The Surrey Police Service is also weighing in. I would say that there's been some aberration from the HR agreement and whatever, you know, whatever side is using that as a, a reason, potentially the pause. We're operating under the assumption that the HR agreement was to run until May of this year. The mayor says she told the SPS to stop hiring soon after she was elected last fall and says what we're seeing is politics at play. I think there is no doubt about it that this is political mischief by by uh, Councillor Nagra and Alford. I do know that we asked them to stop hiring. I do know that the Solicitor General asked him earlier this year to stop hiring. Surrey RCMP is asked if more boots on the ground means a safer community. Just injecting people has uh, very little effect. I can tell you that the first quarter crime stats in the city of Surrey, uh, violent crime is down 14 percent. Overall crime is down 7 percent and that's on the heels of a reduction in violent crime from last year in 2022. Meanwhile, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth is expected to announce his decision this week about the future of policing in Surrey, whether the RCMP will remain the police of jurisdiction or the Surrey Police Service. Janet Brown, Global News. Concerns tonight of growing religious persecution in Iran. People of the Baha'i faith in Metro Vancouver are, are equating the situation to apartheid. They say their loved ones are facing discrimination and even jail for expressing their beliefs. Negar Moshtahedi reports. This is a picture of uh, Sami Nehsani, my cousin. And this is, uh, I think, her birthday. And uh, she's in uh, Evin prison. 
five years in Iran's notorious Evin prison. That's the sentence handed down to Samin Esani. Her crime? Being Baha'i and a child rights advocate in Iran. This is her daughter. It's uh, really tough uh, for both of them. Esani's cousin, Vesal Amini, lives in Coquitlam. He's advocating for her release and raising awareness on the persecution Baha'is face in Iran. He calls the regime's treatment of Baha'is apartheid. It's not fair for her to be imprisoned for her belief and for doing some good things and being a good person. Baha'is in Iran are not allowed to attend university. They're barred from holding any public sector jobs. Their homes subject to raids and demolition. According to the Baha'i international community, 90 Baha'is are currently in prison or subject to ankle monitoring and 1,000 of them are languishing in the judicial system. I was raised in, in a Baha'i family. It's my mom, it's Tarane, who's uh, Mona's sister. Port Moody resident Farhad Goldan can relate to Amini's pain. Out of that picture, pretty much except me, everybody else went to jail. Two of those uh, people got martyred. His close family friend, Mona Mahmoudinejad, was imprisoned after writing a class essay on the oppression of Baha'is in Iran. Why am I not free to express my ideas in this society? Goldan is citing that essay. <laughs> Their homes are looted and set on fire. Hundreds of people leave their homes in fear. Why? I might add that one of those houses was my house, which was burned. In 1983, at the age of 16, she was hanged, along with nine other Baha'i women. Why in my country are those who are members of my religion abducted from their at night? Much like Mona, 40 years later, Amini is also asking, why? Why? Why, why should uh, should be like that? Negar Moshehedi. Global News. Well, still to come on the news hour, why you shouldn't be fooled by our cool, wet spring. We are talking about a deficit that is multi-month, multi-season. Sounding the alarm about the risks of what could be an active wildfire season. Also tonight, why Canada will sit on the sidelines at this year's celebration of light. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Two lanes in both directions and traffic is in great shape both ways. Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are a part of. Contact your local dealer today and get up to $100 in rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Destination BC is putting $6 million into new tourism initiatives across the province. The funding through Destination BC's Cooperative Marketing Partnerships Program will support destination and activity-specific tourism initiatives. One of those initiatives is in the Thompson-Okanagan region, which will focus on inclusive tourism programs. With the support of Destination British Columbia, we're really able to take it to the next level. And really what we want to do here is, is just let all the 2S LGBTQIA plus um, travelers know, know about the Okanagan, know that we're here year round. Programs that uh, will get support include activities like camping, paddling and the Gold Rush Trail, among many others.
The Honda Celebration of Light is on again this summer, and we now know the lineup. Teams from Australia, Mexico, and the Philippines will be competing this year. Officials made that announcement this morning. The festival will take place July 22nd, 26th, and 29th at English Bay. Roughly 1.3 million people hit Vancouver beaches in 2022 to attend the festival. This event has become an iconic part of Vancouver's uh, summertime identity. I have watched the display of these fireworks many, many times. Every year, I'm amazed by this infectious energy and excitement. Every year, the celebration of lights bring out crowds of people to witness the fantastic display of excitement. Team Canada won the event last year. A recent Alzheimer's study has found a new kind of blood test is effective in diagnosing the disease. According to McGill University researchers, the test is as effective for diagnosis as the more invasive procedure of a lumbar puncture, which includes inserting a needle into the lower back to extract cerebral spinal fluid. Researchers found the blood testing is more easily accessible without compromising accuracy. Researchers say it paves the way for these blood tests to one day be used in clinical practice for diagnosis. Health Canada has approved a single-dose immunization that could help prevent RSV in infants. RSV is a common and very contagious viral infection, a lot like a bad cold. It's usually not something to worry about, but it can lead to more serious complications in infants. Health Canada has approved an immunization called Bayfortis that can prevent serious RSV infection in the lower lungs in children under the age of two. The medication is already approved for use in Europe, but this is the first such approval in Canada. Just ahead, the crown might be losing its luster. I don't really care for the monarchy, but I'm not yeah. saying that we shouldn't be a part of it. What a new poll says about our eroding connection to the monarchy and support for King Charles III. But first, wildfire warning. What to expect this summer if present conditions persist? BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. Well, you might be done with all the rain, but in reality, it's actually been fairly dry overall. Yeah, and that's been the trend for a long time now. The experts say we actually have a deficit of precipitation in many parts of the province. Kylie Stanton shows us how it could affect our upcoming fire season. It may be hard to believe, but BC's wildfire season is already underway. So since April 1st of this year, there have been 40 fires across the province um, and a total of 306 hectares burned. The numbers are considered typical, but with this year's quick transition from summer to winter, the conditions are raising some concerns. The ground froze quickly and didn't allow kind of what we typically see the, the fall um, precipitation able to seep into the ground and really saturate it. People are looking towards wildfires and heat events. During a recent spring freshet and wildfire update, officials warned about the impact this is having on fire behavior. They were a little surprised to see uh, full consumption of not only the stumps of trees, but actually burning right down into the root bulb, uh, into what we call the duff layer. You have to look back several seasons and actually to give the full context 
to the precipitation deficit that we have right across the province. Pair that with low water levels in BC's lakes and rivers, and experts say the chance of drought is very real. The key drivers as we look to the potential for that happening this summer is going to be the weather over the next uh, period of time. As of later this week, things are going to start to shift. But with much warmer temperatures and the snowpack sitting at 88% of normal around the province, there's yet another risk to consider. And we're going to see the rivers uh, around the province coming up as that snow starts to melt. So um, that could mean flood issues uh, through parts of the interior. And we are anticipating that this weekend will really kickstart that process. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, let's bring in Christy Gordon now with more on this precipitation deficit. Christy. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. Yeah, I just thought I'd give you some images to give you a real perspective of how dry we are. This is looking at uh, June, July, and August, so meteorological summer, and we uh, this is the precipitation relative anomaly, so the percentage below average that we were, and you can see a lot of brown across the province, and then into the uh, meteorological fall, September, October, November, exceptionally dry, that beginning part of fall especially, and then as we heard there, there was a little absorption because we quickly transitioned into winter, so when the rains did come in the winter they weren't absorbing into the ground and then this is the meteorological winter which is December January and February and it has a little bit more green because actually February was a little bit drier but again there wasn't that absorption into the ground when we had those rains and then this was March so that's the trend now we're at that turning point certainly we've had very cool weather we're going to see a transition into likely periods of warming this is what we're expecting in through the Thompson Okanagan over the next little while a warming trend now what we do want of course is sunshine everyone wants that sunshine but what we don't want is some prolonged period of very extreme heat that will cause a substantial amount of snowmelt and then what would be even worse would be a very warm rain where the freezing levels soar and we get a lot of soaking rain that melts a lot of that snow so we're really watching the weather very closely over the next little while certainly the bc river forecast center is meanwhile i know a lot of you will be enjoying it tomorrow will be a lot brighter now keep in mind in the morning we'll still see some cloud cover a little bit of drizzle in the morning. We'll see that again on Wednesday with a few showers, but by the afternoon hours, you'll be enjoying sunshine. So highs of 13 degrees, we're climbing back to near seasonal values and look at the heat that's on the way. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday particularly, some fantastic days on the way. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Valdez Island. Now, we had one of the strongest geomagnetic uh, storms in decades last night, but most of the province was covered in cloud. Now, parts of Vancouver Island saw clearing early this morning and that's why they were able to capture these colors. Meanwhile, much of the province and anyone who's really into Northern Lights uh, were pretty disappointed last night because these were actually felt or seen as uh, far south as California and Arizona. Mm. Well, thank you for putting the pictures on because at least we can see them on the huh. news hour, yeah. Christy. Thank you. Spectacular. Okay, uh, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to uh, sports and, and I guess proof of if you don't succeed first, try, try again. That's all you can do sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't work out, sometimes <laughs> it does. Uh, Abbotsford Canucks defenseman Brady Keeper was considered a pretty good prospect for the Vancouver Canucks blue line until a broken leg put those plans on hold a couple of years ago. At the end of the day, you, you got to push through. Um, there's, it's the game of hockey and there's injuries. He's on the comeback now, and he's a big part of Abbotsford's AHL playoff run, which is still going.
Look forward to learning more about that story. Also coming up with King Charles III's coronation just a couple of weeks away, a new poll shows how Canadians really feel about the monarchy. Exciting playoff hockey going on right now, and including the Abbotsford Canucks already on to the second round. Uh, those two games out in Abbotsford in round one were a lot of fun. Good crowds, good excitement, so Abbotsford's off to round two. And the uh, round two opponents will be Calgary, the Wranglers, which actually was the best team in the American Hockey League during the regular season. Although Abbotsford actually played pretty well against them in the regular campaign. Now this series is a best of five. Calgary will get the first two games at the Saddle Dome Wednesday and Friday. Then the series doesn't resume until the following week, but games three, four, and five would all be at the Abbotsford Center. So if the Canucks can win one of those games in Calgary, they would have a chance to pull the upset in front of the Partisans in Abbotsford. Now, the story of Abbotsford Canucks defense from Brady Keeper is one of perseverance. He's trying to convince the Vancouver Canucks that he is still an NHL prospect, which is what he was when he first played in the Florida Panthers system. He's overcome a lot of pain due to injury to get back to being part of Vancouver's farm team. Hoaglander backdoor feed and a shot and a goal from Brady Keeper. What a play. Um, just feels good to be playing hockey consistently and um, just just having fun and battling with the boys. Being able to battle with the boys and enjoying being on the ice again has been a long time coming for Abbotsford Canucks defenseman Brady Keeper. Signed to a multi-year deal by Vancouver in the summer of 2021, Keeper was expected to challenge for an NHL job, but that all went sideways in a hurry when Keeper suffered a devastating injury during training camp, a broken leg that wiped out an entire year of hockey. It was tough, obviously, um, but at the end of the day, you, you got to push through. Um, there's, it's the game of hockey and there's injuries and uh, you just got to keep fighting and try to be healthy again. Coming back from a really serious injury, uh, that's a tough thing to get up to speed. He hadn't played a lot of hockey, so um, it's taken time and then kind of got up and going and then has the concussion situation which was uh, took a long time to resolve so I've never had to, to go through something like that and I mean I've had long injuries where it's been a couple months and it takes me it takes me weeks to, to get back in the groove and your timing and everything and it seems like he's just seamlessly done it in his last three seasons Brady's played a grand total of 49 hockey games doesn't matter who or where you are that's tough on your development and that's where keepers first nations heritage comes into play He's a proud member of the Pimichamac Cree Nation and his hometown of Cross Lake, Manitoba, a community of 8,000 located eight hours north of Winnipeg, saluted Brady like a Stanley Cup champion after he skated in his first NHL game a few years back. Those same family and friends helped Brady heal along with giving him a much-needed spiritual lift during his comeback. My wife and my dad got me, go, got me to go into a sweat, so that was, uh, that was my first time. Like we go through a lot of things, being First Nations uh, person. Um, I know I've said that before, but uh, it's true. 
with people back home and you see all these these communities and what they go through, it's just uh, just another obstacle. The New York Rangers are taking on Quinn Hughes' favorite team, the New Jersey Devils. Why is it his favorite team outside of the Canucks? Because his brother Luke plays there, although he hasn't played that much. He just started with the Devils. But his other brother Jack is there. And this is Jack scoring tonight as the Devils have now even this series against the Rangers. This is a weird series. New York won the first two games in New Jersey, and New Jersey won the next two games in New York. Nobody feels at home in this series. Uh, speaking of New York, the Jets have finally acquired Aaron Rodgers to be their new starting quarterback, albeit at the age of 39 and coming off his worst year ever. But they got him, and they paid big to make this deal with Green Bay happen. They swapped first-round picks this year. Green Bay now has 13, the Jets 15th overall. Green Bay also gets a second-round pick this year and a first-rounder next year if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays with the New York Jets this coming season, and he will for sure if he's healthy. On paper, Rodgers should make the Jets' offense better, and he does have some weapons to work with in New York. Clearly, the Jets are hoping for a quick reward like Tampa got when they brought in Tom Brady. But the question is, was Aaron Rodgers' mediocre season last year because he didn't have enough good receivers in Green Bay, or was it a sign that he's finally getting tackled by Father Time? If you missed it, on the weekend, Alfonso Davies uh, pretty much found out his season with Byron Munich is over. He suffered a thigh injury in a game with Byron Munich. He'll be out at least six weeks. That means he may also miss Canada's Nations League semifinal game June 14th down in Vegas against Panama. There you go. All right, thanks very much, Claire. Up next, Royal Reality, what Canadians really think of Charles in charge. Jordan Armstrong standing by now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, an update tonight on the search for a missing six-foot-long boa constrictor in Kitsilano. Sneck is the name of the snake, and its owner insists she is friendly. But it is a boa constrictor, and it is now more than 24 hours late for its weekly feeding. At 11, we'll tell you what's being done to find the snake. Yesterday, we heard from the owner. Tonight, you'll hear from the neighbors. Plus, what is and isn't appropriate swimwear for the local pool? That is on the agenda tonight as the Vancouver Park Board meets. Chris? Turns out it's been a bit of wear what you dare to get this conversation <laughs> going. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. It appears King Charles III faces an uphill battle to win the hearts and minds of Canadians. A new poll suggests Canadians are cool to the King's coronation next month and even questioning Canada's future as a constitutional monarchy. Krista Dow has the details. <laughs> Sharp divisions when it comes to the royal family. I don't like change much but you know in respect for what the queen accomplished in 70 years it's just over 70 years really it's absolutely phenomenal it reminds us all of our common bonds and common history but feelings about king charles not exactly universal according to a new angus reed poll his promotion in ranks has really not done anything in terms of uh, how people feel towards him of more than 2,000 people surveyed, more than half say they don't want Canada to continue as a constitutional monarchy. I don't believe in that, that part of the history of Canada. I think we can be our own entity. I don't really care for the monarchy, but I'm not yeah. saying that we shouldn't be a part of it. 
Other key takeaways show a majority of respondents oppose Charles as king. It's gone downhill so much since we lost the queen. Um, I don't really have a lot of hope for the monarchy. And there's no enthusiasm for the upcoming coronation, with 41% saying they don't care about the May 6th celebration. I got other things. It's not that important to me. For me, it's all about hockey right now. Canadian apathy about Charles has been consistent in previous polling, according to Angus Reid. Fewer and fewer Canadians feel like the, the monarchy and the royal family has any personal relevance to them. They're asking questions around the legacy of colonialism, around the legacy of this family. Despite the numbers, there remains a sizable sector who do care about the royal family. But acknowledging with the passing of Queen Elizabeth, it will be a tough act to follow. Well, nobody knows him yet, do they? But he's waited a long time. He will be very different, won't he? And he won't be able to fill her shoes very easily, I don't think. Back at the British butcher shop, no coronation goodies for sale. There just isn't a market for them. Krista Dow, Global News. Fair comment. This is all happening during hockey playoffs. You know, <laughs> That's right. I guess, he's not a, I guess he's not a fan. Probably not. Buckingham Palace could have you know, shown some respect to Canada. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing, of course. Oh, well. It's the debate that comes up every time there's some big event, right? That's so right. We'll see what happens on May 6th, I'm sure. Always remember, in Canada, like, so hockey is king. Hockey's king. Right. Hockey's king. At this time of year. Over Charles. <laughs> Over anybody. Okay. Name your king. Christy, what's happening in the weather? Yep. Well, big turnaround happening, that's for sure. After what has been days of uh, rainfall and cooler conditions, I think Chris is in counting. We've had the third weekend in a row of wet weather. Mm -hmm. Now we've got the potential for sunshine and not only that, heat. 26, potentially 27 degrees away from the water as we approach next weekend. So hopefully that is the case. Of course, the day's away. All right. Thanks very much for watching. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, all. <laughs>